Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Previously on Murder on the Space Coast, where is Brandy Hall? That's why we've cooperated with media on this case for years, because we know the public interest in this case, um, as well as the fact that we need the public's assistance in cases like this where it's going on uh, 12 years now. But this one, there is nothing. There, there's, I can't find anything. You know, the assigned detectives at the police department have beat this thing to death. Um, and I have too. You sit around and second guess yourself. What if? You know, play the iffy game. And, you know, I keep putting signs up. And then I ask myself, why? I'm news columnist John A. Torres, and welcome back to Murder on the Space Coast, Where is Brandy Hall? Before we get started, I wanted to remind you to please go to whereisbrandyhall.com for extras in this case, including a chance to buy tickets to our special post-podcast event on May 2nd at the Surfside Playhouse in Cocoa Beach, where you will get to meet and ask questions of the podcast team and retired detective Sid Liddow and Brandy's mom, Debbie Rogie, among other special guests. Okay, so this is our final episode, and as we alluded to earlier in the week, we had to move this episode back a few days because of breaking news in this case. I know you're all chomping at the bit to hear exactly what that news is. I have to be careful with exactly how much I say, because Detectives Mike Pusatier and Rebecca Spears are working this new angle right now as we record this. It all came about when we noticed someone on social media who was following the podcast. The person was using the name Brandy, and also using an old photograph of Brandy that we did not recognize. It was clearly her in the picture, but not a photo we'd seen before, and we've seen a lot. So we decided to try and find another copy of the photo on the internet, and we couldn't. I stored the info away, and was going to tell Detective Mike Pusatier about it, but I first wanted to run it by Brandy's mom, Debbie Rogie. I described the photograph to her, and she recognized it immediately. I then mentioned that the particular image being used on social media appeared to have a crease through it and had been exposed to some wear and tear. As soon as I said that to Brandy's mom, there was silence on the other end of the phone. When she finally spoke, her voice was trembling. She told me that she was shaking. She then sent me a cell phone picture of that exact same photo as the one being used on social media. And I mean exact, right down to the crease and the markings on it from wear and tear. It's a photograph that her dad kept in his wallet and then he put it in his drawer. I guess for safekeeping, he puts all the safe things in there. And it just... It's just the same picture. It just has a special meaning. And, um, I mean, why we know it's the exact same photograph is because there's a crease 
in the middle of the photograph, right? Because that's because he used to keep it in his wallet. Right, and it has like the plastic cover over it. Wow. That's probably why the police is there. Let me make this crystal clear. I compared the images too. I didn't just take Brandy's mom's word for it. It's that photo. That same exact photo that Brandy's dad has had in his wallet all these years and just recently retired to his drawer of memories. Someone must have taken a photograph of that photo and now they are using it in this particular social media account. Because again, this is not a photo that's available for anyone to just grab on the internet. The list of people who have had access to that photo, with the crease and the wear and tear, cannot be very long. Here I am asking Brandy's mom that very question. And so we couldn't find that photograph anywhere on the internet, and we gave that information to the Palm Bay police who also couldn't find it on the internet. I mean, it, it's, it's a pretty rare photograph, right, Debbie? Yes, and that is really weird. I don't know. It is really weird. Yeah, I, I mean, you haven't handed that photo out to people. I mean, like that exact copy with the crease in it and everything, right? No, I haven't given it to anybody. We were just looking at it the other day. Wow. Just me and the dad. Uh, nobody. I mean, that's really weird. <laughs> How did God's telling us something? <laughs> Detective Mike Pusatier told me that his people were not able to locate the photo anywhere on the internet either. Since Murder on the Space Coast has been airing on Florida Today, uh, we have received some information uh, from Florida Today, working in partnership with them, um, and from the information that they've gathered uh, that we've been following up on. Uh, other information we're following up on a photograph that was observed at Brandy Hall on social media. Uh, that's an old photograph of her from a long time before she was missing, but it's not a common photo. It's not uh, searchable that we could find on the internet. So we're trying to find the source of that photo just to determine who, who posted it on this social media platform. Uh, we have to go through legal process to get that subpoenas um, to, to do that, which we have to petition the court, uh, submit paperwork and get the subpoenas issued to get that. And obviously what we see in Congress with Facebook and privacy concerns there are certain hurdles and protections in place for people with their you know, right to privacy and Fourth Amendment rights that we have to be respectful of and go through the proper process to get the information that if it does pan out to be a lead on where Brandy Hall is and what happened to her, that we can use that information in court if somebody needs to be held responsible for it. Um, so that does take some time to be able to accomplish that. And so that's where we are. Who on earth had access to this photograph and why are they using it as their profile picture and calling themselves Brandy? Could it be her killer? Could it be someone close to the family playing some strange game? Could it be a family member? Brandy's mom says no, that neither she nor her husband have used that picture on social media. Could it be that it's Brandy, that she's actually still alive? I mean, what was your first impression when you when you heard that it was that photograph? I don't know, I'm just shaking so bad, I couldn't, I don't know. I just was hoping that it's her. Wow. Maybe she'll be found. Are you hopeful right now, Debbie? I mean, is it is it hard to have hope, or is it easy? Or No, I'm very hopeful. I just hope that it is her, and I just hope that it's got to be in God's time. And I'm just hoping that this podcast and all your everybody's work is, is going to come true. It's going to it's going to find her. 
I asked you this the other day when I was not recording, but I want to ask you this now. So there's no way that you or your husband could have created an account with that photograph, right? No, no, I don't understand. Wouldn't it be amazing, though, if this tip somehow helped bring Brandy home? Because here we are, after 10 episodes, and while we'd love to end this podcast like those cop shows on TV that neatly wrap everything up in one hour, real life just doesn't work like that. Missing person cases, especially missing person cold cases, don't work like that. This case remains an unsolved mystery, although it seems everyone has a theory as to what happened to Brandy. And maybe just putting those theories out there helps. Helps jog someone's memory. Brandy's mom, as you've heard, holds on to hope that her daughter is alive. Yeah, maybe all, maybe all the things, maybe she snapped. Maybe we don't know what God has in our plans. I mean, evidently there's something in his plans for what's going on. We don't know what it is, but... He will let us know. Maybe maybe she did have amnesia. I don't know what the reason is, but I hope it's time that he lets us know. And bring her home. To yes, guys. and bring her home. So what do you think happened that night? I don't know. I've got my thoughts, but I don't know. I just, like, I don't know. Something weird is going on. Somebody knows what's going on. I know she would not leave on her own. She would never leave her family, her kids, her job, us, her kids. She would not do that in a million years. That was not her. She either had to have had amnesia, there had to have been some reason, somebody had to have forced her to leave. I don't know what it is or what. I don't know, but... Brandy's mother was a little hesitant to share what she thought may have happened to her daughter. But others, like Sid Ladau, are pretty sure. He feels Brandy was killed, maybe even accidentally, at the pond, by someone she knew, and he is adamant that she would never leave on her own. She thought that her husband was going to go to prison the next day. If he had, um, who was going to take care of the kids? She couldn't have run away. Somebody had to take care of those kids. She loved those kids, and, and, and Jeff did too. He would never have left them to wander around somewhere in the, in the night. And she would never have left them either. So a book that I read said, if there is no motive, then it was either an accident or a gang, gangland hit. I, I don't see the gangland hit. Then I'm faced with it was an accident. I think, wait a minute now. What the hell is going on here? An accident. I know from, from talking with people that Brandy and um, the unnamed person there were arguing constantly for almost a week that she was trying to convince him to leave his wife. And he kept saying, no, I'll not leave her. He had a tremendous investment in that house. Um, he and his wife were making excellent money. He got three nice kids, got a beautiful home. He could not see starting all over again. And he just kept saying no. 
<coughs> I don't know what happened, but it could be that Brandy got had lost her temper. Um, maybe she hit him a couple of times, could have pulled a gun on him. I don't know what happened. I just don't know what happened in that truck. If he pushed her or grabbed for the gun and hit her with her head being like it was in the side of her face, it was probably pretty fragile. She could have hit something and broke something loose in her head because we know the, the blood came out of her head, logically her nose or her mouth because that's where the blood was in the, in the floorboard. Um, you know, I, I have really looked at this thing for hours at a time. Was it an accident? Was it self-defense? Quite frankly, I don't know. But I know that the person that was with her panicked. I know everything Sid says makes sense, and I know others hold to that same theory. But I just can't shake the feeling I have that the drug angle was eliminated a little sooner than maybe it should have been. I keep going back to the statement that Brandy told one of the drug agents, saying, quote, I don't want to talk to you guys. People will do anything to get even, close quote. And really, no one believes that Brandy didn't know about her husband's drug operation. Even Sid had to admit she knew what was going on. Everybody she talked with, with they asked her, you knew about that, didn't you? She always denied it. Now, here's the thing. If somebody didn't tell her, she still had to know. You know, I mean, uh, she built a 300-gallon tank to fit on the back of a truck. Now, why do you do that? Why do you need 300 gallons of diesel? This was not um, um, an ordinary woman by any means. She knew what was going on, and she just didn't say anything. You know, the money was enjoyable. But I have pounded that thing on the, the drug thing, and it's just not there. It was a small two-bit operation. Um, you had to split the money down in halves. One half went to diesel fuel and, and for the generator and all this fertilizer and stuff. And then you had a quarter and a quarter left, which was split by uh, her husband and his cohort. And they never got over 25000 a year. Mm. It just wasn't there. So a little street guy, he'll kill for twenty five thousand. But the, the big people, they, uh, yeah, they're yeah. not going to. They're not going to risk that. Like I said, everyone has a theory. I mean, seriously, even our great preps sports writer Brian McCallum has a theory. I know, I, I know. What on earth can a sports writer add to this? Well, to be honest, I've had Brian reading the transcript of every episode to make sure everything flowed and made sense. When you're working on something like this, you can get too close to the information, and you tend to take certain things for granted. Plus, Brian spends all of his spare time watching true crime programs on TV. I wasn't shocked to learn that one of his idols is Agatha Christie's detective extraordinaire, Hercule Poirot. Right from the start, Brian was concerned that the items found after Brandy vanished, her backpack a year later, and her fire helmet almost two years later floating in a marina seemed to be glossed over by police. They were a big point for Brian. I'm dubious, first of all, of the idea that everything was done, you know, fairly carefully, and the fact that a helmet washes up is just coincidental or totally interrelated. If everything was done supposedly so carefully, 
and apparently there was some uh, you know precision involved in that the body hasn't been found. I just don't see the helmet as being coincidental. Do a lot of fire department helmets wash up on the shores in this country? I have never heard of any. I'm not aware of it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it just doesn't get publicity. Like myself, Brian feels there was more to the helmet washing up than just a random act not tied to the case. But he also feels the same way about the truck. Could that be a red herring as well? I guess my other big theory is that I don't necessarily think she died at the pond. Right. I think maybe that, just like the other things, the truck was put there to hide. And... Well, that's really interesting because everybody assumes, right, everybody assumes that she was killed at the pond. But you're right, if the pond was searched... I don't think we have any reason to assume that she was killed at the pond. Her truck with her blood in it was found at the pond, but no other proof of a murder or any other crime for that matter. I've been hung up on the helmet as well as the drugs. I mean, come on, when you grow and sell drugs, you deal with bad people, right? I asked retired Palm Bay detective Ernie Diebel, when he was still in charge of this case, about the drug angle and what he believes happened to Brandy Hall. That, that angle has been looked at. Um, of course, everybody thinks that the drugs would, would be, but um, both um, Jeff Hall and his, his partner in the Grow House were both being sentenced that day. They had pled out. The case was pretty much over with. The only thing left was sentencing. Um, and unfortunately for Jeff, since he was a public servant, the judge kind of made an example of him. I believe, I, I can't say who, but, you know, she, um, somebody had, had met with her and killed her that night um, and, and dumped the truck into the lake and for some reason took her body and dumped it someplace else. Um, don't know, you know, why you wouldn't... You know, it's kind of, that's kind of a, um, uncommon, I think, to find the, the car here dumped and then there's no body in the car. You know, and here we have a, a body, you know. Um, Randall claimed that she was going to meet somebody and get money. Um, no details or anything. It, two days after she went missing, when he didn't, she didn't recontact him, that's when he came and reported that to us on, on Sunday. It was a Friday when this all started. Thursday night was the last time she was seen. Friday is when they found her back, her um, pack and then found the car. And then Sunday he came back with the story that she was going to find somebody because she was going to leave, hmm. get some money from somebody. But there's nothing, there's nothing in any of the phone records or so that she had met or called anybody else except for him. So that's um, where we're at right now. Over the course of reporting the podcast, I tried for weeks to get a hold of Richard Walter. Remember, I mentioned him last episode. He was one of the founding members of the VDOC Society and is a nationally renowned forensic psychologist. I wanted to pick his brain about this case as I started to pull together theories. We finally connected and began trading emails. Before agreeing to an interview, he wanted to check with Sid, presumably to make sure I was on the up and up and also to refresh himself with the case. Sid invited Walter down to Florida to really dive into this. According to Sid, Walter basically looks at the crime and the people of interest in three parts. Their behavior before the crime, the crime itself, and after the crime. Then he examines these behaviors, patterns, phone records, and other data, and puts together a case. That is circumstantial evidence. If we can get that... 
and he knows how to do it. Richard Walter does. With the shit that I wrote, I got back there. My God, they ought to make something. So I finally spoke to Richard Walter, and he said after compiling all the data, he's able to fit people into their pre-crime slots, and then he said the case really comes alive. Here he is. Well, law enforcement inquired as to my memory of the case, and because I had looked at it once before, and I then said that given new technology, given new insights, given new strategies, and whatever else we now can uh, look at the case and by what's there as well as what's not there and, and the lies and then offer them some real effort to resolve the case in chief. And do I think that that's possible? Yes. And so in the course of events, if that's their choice, then it could be that one would then uh, consult on it and help them out because it's not fair that a bad guy has a free ride on murder. Great news, right? I mean, this guy is the real deal and he knows how to build a case. Plus, he was already asked to look at this case and was really familiar with it. Maybe his expertise is the one missing piece that this case needs to get resolved. He'll come down, find Brandy, identify the killer, and build his case. Everything would be wrapped up nice and neatly. But that's not real life, is it? In the end, his invitation came from Sid, who was working in an unofficial capacity and not the actual Palm Bay Police Department, who, in the end, decided not to have him fly down, at least not yet. As Detective Mike Pusatier explained to me, they've already had several experts and profilers look at this case, and they've all basically said the same thing. What the police need is just that extra tip, that extra bit of information to move forward. There's nothing new in the case, per se. Um, in fact, that's one of the reasons why we're thankful that Florida Today is doing the Murder on the Space Coast and featuring Brandy Hall, the Brandy Hall case. Because uh, we're hoping that somebody who watches this podcast might have some information, something they think may not be that important, that we haven't looked at or heard of before, so we can try to develop some new leads with this case. We appreciate Florida Today taking interest in this case and putting this information out there uh, to help our community be able to get a resolution in this. And we are grateful to that. Uh, and the cooperation from the public and the relationship that we have with them in providing information in cases like this. We appreciate Mike's words and share in the same hope that someone will hear this and remember something and make that phone call to Crimeline and help to put an end to this story. In fact, we're counting on it. Tips? Well, we've gotten a few in addition to the one at the beginning of this episode and have passed all of them along to Detective Pusatier. Richard Walter, meanwhile, the cold case expert, is confident, like Sid, that there will be resolution. So I, I would say, though, that then, uh, continuing on, yep. that, that in this case, it's apparent that the uh, perpetrator made some mistakes, and we're going to capitalize on those mistakes, and that um, they should not feel too comfortable that one day somebody's going to come knocking on the door with a set of handcuffs. And when that happens, so much credit should fall at the feet of the 78-year-old widower who has made this case his final mission. One of the bright points in this story for us has been the incredible tale of retired detective Sid Ladow. He has tirelessly worked the Brandy Hall case in his retirement and vows to continue pounding the pavement until he takes his last breath or until the case of the missing mother is solved. 
Sid, as I've previously mentioned, had never met Brandy Hall. And after a long career in the military, and then as a Palm Bay police detective, you'd think he'd rather be spending his time with grandkids or puttering around his garden. But that's not the case. I suppose it's just in his genetic makeup. He was asked to help out on this case when it went cold, and eight years later, with the help of his partner, Doc Jones, remains on it. He spends his days making phone calls, or visiting and interviewing anyone who might have some information, or hanging signs and trying to find the evidence he needs to crack it. He suffered a setback just after Christmas 2016 when he lost his wife, Sue. She'd been as focused on the case as he was. And Sid? Well, he's had some health issues too. I asked him about a few medical tests he recently had, and if he ever worried that he wouldn't be able to solve this case before he joins his wife, Sue, in heaven. How are you feeling? I'm pretty damn good, really. Yeah, all good. Yeah, I got, they got to go in here. I think I got a canter in there. I got a yeah. pacemaker and another damn thing in here. So. How often do you think about this case? Every day. And when I pray every night, Brandy and that very important person that's important to the case, I say, Lord God, make him do something to where we can get her body back. Mm. But that's an everyday occurrence with me as, and my wife too, when she was still alive, she prayed every day. Wow. So it's just the kind of case that's just on your mind all the time, basically. Absolutely. Wow. She's never far from my thoughts. Have you ever thought about the possibility that we may not get this thing solved before you go? Yes, but I don't entertain that thought very long. That's just not in my way of thinking or my vocabulary. I'm going to live long enough, even though I've got some serious problems, I'm going to live long enough to get her back. I've been trying to coax Sid into playing his guitar for me when I visit. Maybe one of these days. It's funny, Brandy's husband said he had no idea what to think when he was first approached by these two retired detectives, Sid Ledow and Doc Jones. But it wasn't long before he began to feel respect and admiration for those two. Oh my God, they're my heroes. They really, I mean, these guys are outstanding. They came, they, when they first met me, I was saying, what the hell, these guys, now they got somebody else trying to come. And, you know, they interrogated me. I. Of course, I, I opened them, I greeted them with open arms, answered every question. They came to my job in um, Port St. John. And um, then we started meeting regularly. And then um, he asked me, first thing he asked me, will you take a polygraph test? I said, yeah, hell yeah. So he set it up. I think it's one of the first times we visit. And then we came tight, and then they would ask me questions, and I'd give them all the information I knew. And, um, but they've done a lot, and I think they opened the, they opened the case up, and he gave us hope for a while. But, you know, as the case is lingering on, I mean, their hands are tied. Yeah. You know, got to have somebody actively working on the case. So these guys, can't do it. they're not deputies, you know. They're not deputized. So, but, oh, no, they've been, I think they got a lot of information out, you know, and just a, they made the case public again for years, you know, and um, get people talking. For Palm Bay Detective Mike Pusatier, the involvement of Sid and Doc was a way to take advantage of their experience and to put a new set of eyes on a case that had grown cold. And because they are not law officers, they have been able to gain access to some people who will not talk to the police. 
Uh, John Blackledge, who's our now retired deputy chief. Um, he was the commander of investigations at the time, and we had some cold cases, and we we're having, you know, just we needed more time to focus on the cold cases. So he came up with, hey, we got some retired guys. Let's reach out to them and see how they feel about, hey, do you guys want to take a look at some of these and just give some advice and guidance and it kind of morphed from there, um, which is good because they, they do have a lot of experience. Yeah. Um, have they churned up anything new or any sort of... Kind of recovered some of the same ground um, that we've already talked covered yeah. before, but reinforced some of that, which was good. Um, I know that they were able to talk to uh, Anne-Marie Richmond at one point who denies any involvement and said that you know Randall lied to her throughout the course of their marriage and she just wanted to put it all behind her and move on. Um, she still hasn't talked to us per se, but she was able to talk to him. So um, He's been able to help us talk to some people that would not necessarily talk to us because we have a badge or officially, um, which we're grateful to him for and his uh, work on this case. I know he's put a lot of time and effort into it and some of his own expense and putting up signs and just trying to find out the truth of what happened to Brandy Hall like we all want to. But you can sense the toll all of this has taken on Sid. Despite his optimism, he is tired and weary. And sometimes that does come across. I don't know. We've put it in 10 years and haven't had the first real clue. You know, I, it's, it's very difficult for an old guy like me to say, well, you know, it, it's, it's taken a long time and a lot of money. The city of Palm Bay is out a lot of money. And uh, you know, we've done our best. We documented everything we've done, but... Sometimes it, it just doesn't come together. And there's thousands of disappeared people and murders throughout the United States that are still cold cases, date back probably to the 1800s. Sometimes you got it, and sometimes you don't. So again, do this for Brandy, her parents, her mom who is clinging to hope, her husband and her two children. They deserve answers. And for Sid, who has put so much time and energy and passion into this, but now he needs your help more than ever. If you know something, if you have any information, or even hear something that you might feel be of interest to the police in this case, or if you heard something on this podcast that sparks some memory, please call Crimeline. Again, that phone number is 1-800-423-TIPS or 1-800-423-8477. Let's bring Brandy Hall home. I noticed that you talk about Brandy in the present tense, like she's still here. Do you do you believe she's still alive and like somewhere, or what do you? I know what I feel in my heart and mother's instinct. I hang on to my beliefs, and I know what I believe. Nobody's going to change my mind but God. How do you cope? I mean, obviously you have strong faith, but what, is it is it is it just God? Is it, is it, is it just knowing that He He will come through for you that? It, yes, it's, it's God that helps me get through, and I just hang on to a few sayings that my instincts tell me, and just hang on to that and hope that if the day is coming that she'll show up or something's going to happen. It's time. It's way past time. I just can't wait for the day that I can give her a hug and... I just can't wait for that day, and I know it's coming soon. I just believe it in my heart. I just miss her. I miss you, Brandy, so much. It's like, somebody please bring my daughter home 
It's like, Brandy, where are you? Please, somebody bring her home. Whoever you are, please talk. Thank you, and God bless you. I'm news columnist John A. Torres, and you can follow me on Twitter at John Albert Torres. That's at J-O-H-N-A-L-B-E-R-T-O-R-R-E-S. And for more information and web exclusives, please go to whereisbrandyhall.com, where you can also order your tickets for our post-podcast presentation on May 2nd at the Surfside Playhouse in Cocoa Beach. Season 3 of Murder on the Space Coast was written and narrated by me, John A. Torres. The producer has been Rob Landers, and the editor was Mara Bellaby. Thanks for listening to Murder on the Space Coast, brought to you by Florida Today, a part of the USA Today Network.